Happy Easter. Jesus is risen indeed. This week on the Sermon Cast, our friend Taylor Bacon is joining us to bring us an Easter message all about resurrection. Get ready. The Sermon Cast begins now. So it's Easter this week. And Easter, we always talk about the resurrection. Um, we talk about what that means and really what Jesus did. And, and, and the, the resurrection is kind of the pinnacle of what we believe as Christians. Um, it's, it's the cornerstone of our faith. Uh, and, and the way we respond to knowing the resurrection matters. And so uh, the story of the resurrection I've picked today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, and it's verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. So the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything about who Jesus was to humanity. Uh, Jesus had been talking for years that the process was he was going to live, die, three days later, rise from the dead, and then ascend into heaven. Like he was telling the disciples this, but it says in our scripture, it was hard to believe. And I, and I think that's fair out of the 11 disciples that were there, 10 of them, it was pretty difficult for them to believe that Jesus had actually died and then risen again. Um, and so just to not support the disbelief in the resurrection, but some people have gone to pretty great lengths to try to disprove that this has happened, uh, which would pretty much disprove Christianity altogether. Um, but some of them are kind of funny. Uh, not a lot of them hold very much weight, but here are some of my favorites that I found. The conspiracy hypothesis holds that Jesus did in fact die, but that the disciples snuck in overnight and stole Jesus's body and hid it somewhere. And then they acted surprised when the tomb was empty. And this one doesn't really hold because a lot of the disciples ended up dying because of their eventual belief in Jesus's resurrection and Jesus as the Messiah. Um, and it's pretty unlikely that many of them would have given their lives up for a hoax. The second hypothesis uh, would be the apparent death hypothesis. So they're saying that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. So that even goes a step further uh, in our beliefs as Christians. We're saying Jesus didn't fully die on the cross. He like 80% died and then was taken into the tomb and the disciples snuck in, uh, resuscitated him in a sense, and then snuck him out. Uh, that just pretty much throws any sort of 
post-resurrection sightings of Jesus that we find in all the Gospels, that throws all of that out of the window. Um, and because of Scripture's inerrancy, because of its truth, we can't, we can't really... Those are historical sightings. Uh, so that, that's why that one doesn't really work very well. But the last one's my favorite because it kind of makes me laugh. They call this one the wrong tomb hypothesis. And this is basically saying when the women went to find Jesus in the tomb, they went to the wrong one. And so the way that tombs were set up, I mean, there were just, there were rows of tombs all in these different gardens, kind of right next to each other. I think they were maybe like a football field apart from one another. And so this hypothesis says that the women went to the wrong one and that there was no one buried there. So it was empty, of course, but Jesus was actually buried right next door. Um, That one, it doesn't really work because in our scripture, when the women, and in, in most of the gospels, when the women walk up to the tomb, the gardener or the, the men dressed very brightly, all of them ask, they're like, are you looking for him? Are you looking for Jesus? So it's Jesus's tomb that they come to. It's pretty obvious. Um, but I just thought that one was a really funny one. So, and I don't point all of these out to try and convince anyone for or against the resurrection of Jesus. I actually just want us to understand how unbelievable it can actually be. I mean, it's illogical. There's a basic rule of logic that the dead stay dead. Uh, and so the scripture we read, there are two responses to this crazy claim uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. So verses 10 and 11 say this. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So the disciples, some of them, most of them, did not believe it. The people who had lived and followed Jesus for close to three years did not believe that he had actually risen from the dead. But eventually, all of the disciples would die because they came to believe in his resurrection. So Andrew was crucified. John, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. Philip was martyred. Bartholomew was skinned alive and beheaded. Thomas was speared to death. James the Less, Simon the Zealot, and Jude were all three martyred in Egypt. Uh, Judas... We know what happened to Judas, right? Judas hung himself after turning Jesus over to the authorities. Uh, And then the only disciple that's left after that would be Peter. And as we saw in our scripture that we read, Peter was so excited, he went and checked the tomb. It was empty. That's the only proof he needed. And he ran home because he was so excited. And I think all of the disciples eventually got here but Peter's response is my favorite. And and it makes me stop. And when I read it, it makes me wonder, okay, Peter was so excited about the resurrection of Jesus. He couldn't have just stopped. He couldn't have just gone home and sat there for the rest of his life, just really giddy and happy that this had happened. Peter had to have responded somehow. The cool thing about the book of Luke, and the reason I picked it, and the reason I picked this particular resurrection story, is because the book of Luke is a two-part set. So it's a two-volume set. Luke is volume one of two, and the book of Acts is part two. Both were written by Luke. Uh, If you look, I'm not going to read it, but if you look in the opening Acts 1-1, the author says, in my previous book, and he's referring to the book of Luke. Uh, And... 
Just some other really helpful background on the book of Acts. Craig Keener, who writes a lot of historical background on the Bible, uh, says that the major theme in the gospel of Luke is this plot line that stretches from Galilee, where Jesus was born, to Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified. And then that theme continues in the book of Acts. You can trace this very same theme, but in the book of Acts, it goes from Jerusalem, Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension, all the way to the ends of the earth. So the message of Jesus, the resurrection, is going to stretch to the end of earth and the end of time. But how is it going to get there? And I think Peter's response is how that message gets there, to the end of the earth, how it's still being carried today, thousands of years later. Uh, and so, and I, and I think that comes by being the church. The whole, the entire book of Acts is, is this beginning and this conception of the early church. Uh, and Peter is, like Jesus had told him, Peter is the rock that Jesus built this church on. And so, Peter essentially goes straight to work. He gathers the disciples in the very same place that they last all were together with Jesus in the upper room where the Last Supper was. They picked a new disciple, a new 12th man, uh, and to replace Judas, and they began to build the church, the vessel that would carry the message through to the end of the earth, the end of time. Uh, and it seems like a really big task, doesn't it? It just, this is a really insane thing to think that just people can do, right? Broken people. But they came up with something pretty simple to accomplish this feat. And if we look in the book of Acts chapter 2, which is a pretty well-known chapter when it comes to being the church, Acts 2 is pretty much, this is, this is the formula we need to be the church. But I'm going to push and say, this is the formula we need to continue to share the message of the resurrection and the power that comes behind that. So in Acts 2, Peter said this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with, with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts." praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the, the big gimmick that the early church used to carry this message of the resurrection was by being the church. They didn't use any fancy gimmicks or, or anything. It says that 
they existed together. They met together regularly. I mean, it says they met together almost every day. But they met together regularly as one body. They relied on the Holy Spirit to guide them in their worship and in their prayer. They ate, which I think is pretty great. I'm all about that. So we can get together and eat. Uh, And they just, they were a community. And because they allowed God and the Holy Spirit to guide them in their ways, and they used, Peter preached this message of, of Jesus. He preached the gospel when they were together. That's what they did. And it says at the end, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So if I had to offer you any sort of encouragement from this, I'd encourage you to, if you're already plugged in to Mid-City Church, dig deeper into your community, the community that's, that's already so present in Mid-City Church through small groups, through worship, through all of these things. Dig deeper into that community and the gospel will flow out of you. The truth that Jesus died and rose again for all of us That is so present in a community that's committed to that message. So I encourage you to dig deeper into that. Make your small group a priority. Uh, Make worship something you crave. and And all for the sake of helping others come to know this powerful story of a Savior who conquered death for their sake. It very well could change the world. I hope you found this sermon to be meaningful and relevant to your life. If you'd like to dive deeper, I invite you to visit midcity.church sermoncast and click on the current sermon series. There you can find a home sheet for this sermon that includes the scriptures that we talked about, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge to live out this week. While you're on the website, if you'd like to make a financial contribution to our ministry here at Midcity Church, you can click the Give button in the top right corner. If you're new to the sermon cast, I invite you to text the word HERE, H-E-R-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662 and fill out a connect card so that we can get to know you. I'm so glad you joined us today, and I look forward to seeing you next week.